Um, so, hey, e, you're just talking about you. Well, Cap, well, how do you think? How do you think the governments are financing all these bailouts? Yeah, um, actually, I would, I'd like to say something to this because I'm actually personally affected by uh, what you just said. Um, I had a trust fund that was worth at one point two hundred twenty grand. Now, thanks to the Corona crisis, that has dropped down to ninety five. Yeah. So, yeah. and there's no government bailout plan for me. I've lost 120 grand. Yeah. Within but a month. Not because of the coronavirus. No, not directly. No. Not at all. There's a, two ways you can think about that. It's either you didn't have that originally, like the market was overpriced. I don't even want to go down that route, but I, I'm just saying that that's awful. No, man. but, but the whole argument about savers being penalized is because let's just say that you're, you're a financially prudent company who doesn't take on any debt. And so you, and this, I understand that part. I understand that part. It's just, it's more of a, a EE. I, my, my comment was, I slightly, I, I said, I disagreed with you when you talked about how it impacts savers. Now I kind of want to rephrase my statement to say, I slightly disagree. There's just a very nuanced thing that I well, have the, in my the, own the, mind. The point well, that I want to lead to you is how how do you think governments are gonna are gonna fund this, all these bailouts? People are more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's ultimately where savers are gonna get fucked. I'm I know, I know, I know. I'm aware of that, uh, but. There's... I need a bit of a background explaining what you're going on about here. You lost me. There's a, there's a, there's a meme that uh, obviously all the financial stimulus is going to be sort of ultimately funded by, um, you know, the Federal Reserve or the central banks of, of respective countries printing a lot of money, you know, through quantitative easing. Uh, and that's why people use the meme that, that money printers are going brrrr. Good money, yeah. <laughs> So um, I hope, uh, I really want to start off everything. I hope everyone's um, safe and well and staying in their homes and, um, you know, being sensible there and, you know, got plenty of canned food and toilet paper and, uh, you know, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> and, and I do genuinely I mean that. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, we found the American. Um, I, I do genuinely <laughs> hope that you guys are all, um, that you guys are staying well. But outside of that, I also hope that you enjoy the latest video. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit of a longer one, so um, a few things to go over there. Uh, hopefully, you guys liked it. Oop, who's that going? Um, hopefully, you guys liked the, the longer form just a little bit. Uh, other than that, um, Captain Locke will probably really nicely put out like uh, the discussion topics into a nice, easy to follow um, dot point thing, and I've just kind of come to expect that he'll do that, uh, even though he's yeah. under no obligation to do so. Um, and that's sort of really helpful. But uh, I think originally it, it's nice if we sort of try to as much as possible adhere to, to uh, what we're talking about here. Um, and then look, if we if we go on a little bit of a tangent, that's okay. But at least for let's say the first half hour of the stream, try and sort of stick to the video. So I mean, our first first question off the crab. I I hope everyone liked the video, whether they agree or disagree. Hopefully there were some interesting points raised that uh, you know went ways to uh, sort of shining some light on the underlying issues of this crisis. Mm -hmm. Oh, the enthusiasm! Thinking, though, this whole crisis is going to create even more moral hazards for the next crisis. And it now strikes the question, could governments be able to sustain 
even more debt because it it when does the limit ever reach yeah well the thing with government debt is it's quite different to um, private institutional debt right because uh, if we have a lot of debt we've got a bit of a problem um, governments have a lot of debt well then the financial system has a bit of a problem and and ultimately they're sort of one and the same with the currency that they circulate to facilitate trade in the economy so it's not necessarily something where it's like uh, someone has a really bad credit card debt uh, it, it's hindering it now the disadvantages of course is that there is interest that needs to be repaid on those loans and you know if you're talking about something like debt being 120 percent of gdp you know even if it's one percent interest well, that interest repayment's basically dead money and um, you know that can just those interest expenses mean the difference between um, a quarter of growth or a quarter of loss uh, you know one percent when we're talking about gdp is a big big deal and that can ultimately be a long-term hindrance on society now the hope is normally with government debt um, is that you know they're investing into infrastructure projects or at least investing into things that will recirculate and the actual growth of the economy will outpace the interest that they pay uh, which is you know effectively sometimes normally true especially when you consider that governments pay very very low interest on their loans because they are extremely secure lenders but it can still blow up in their face at the end of the day it's, it's leverage like anything else and there's still the expectation that they pay um, so it is quite a it's a risky game to play now, uh, of course, you know, the focus of the video was that no one's innocent of this. It's not governments necessarily and government debt that's, uh, that's always the problem. It's uh, at the moment now probably going to be, you know, financial private institutional debt and for a little bit, probably personal debt there as well. Um, you guys are not, uh, you guys are not innocent. So I was confused about how you said in the video how savers are apparently the ones who lose the most. That yeah. confused yeah and so uh, it's because in, in times like this uh, central banks will target inflation inflation normally leads to um, more more growth in an economy uh, and the reason is it, it's all about sort of the velocity of money so the more money that they have sort of floating out there it means more people have more cash in their pocket at the end of the month which they can then go and spend on goods and services in an economy um, you know that is if they're allowed outside their homes uh, which is potentially at this point a, a pretty big ask so that sort of means that there's more money floating about and when there's more money floating about you know normally it's a good thing it means there's more people that are employed uh, because you know more businesses are able to keep receiving more money which means they can employ more people uh, and those people can then go and spend that extra money that they make from more employment which is kind of great it recirculates uh, but the one thing it does of course is inflation you know if more people have more money and you're you know um, let's say bidding over something on ebay uh, i don't know let's say a sock puppet that you really want on ebay and you know maybe there's 15 other people that are interested in that same sock puppet but they've just received you know a thousand dollars in fiscal stimulus from their government they go you beauty i've got a thousand extra dollars i'm going to buy that sock puppet well the price of that sock puppet's naturally going to rise because there's more people uh, that are willing and or able to buy it at any given price and that is inflation the rising price level of goods is inflation uh, and it's normally you know caused by having more money in circulation now if you're a saver you know let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars saved if the price level of goods doubles well then your money is effectively worth half as much so you're being penalized for saving that money Now, normally you alleviate this through you know interest you know you put your money in your high interest savings account and oh look you know back in the day you'd sometimes get four or five percent and you know even higher um sort of you know early 2000s and that was great but 
These days, you're probably lucky if you're getting 2% in most high-interest savings accounts in most countries around the world. Uh, and if inflation's sort of been pushed as this way to sort of stimulate economic growth, oh boy, you're actually going to be losing money year on year um, and you're sort of eating into that principle. So you're being charged effectively to have money on hand, uh, which is, you know, what uh, the issue of that's how that the mechanism of inflation hurts savers. And, you know, quantitative easing is, is a very, very strong form of, uh, you know, inflationary monetary policy. This sounds a lot like the Iran video and how they have a bubble growing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, it's very similar to, you know, a lot of countries. Um, you know, a lot of countries have tried quantitative easing and it's, it's caused, you know, inflation. Now, uh, a big takeaway is inflation isn't necessarily bad. Central banks target inflation. Normally, it's sort of targeted between 2 and 3% for most modern economies. Uh, the reason being is, you know, um, I made the joke in, in the video, fuck savers. Uh, but genuinely, fuck savers, because they're kind of like this dead weight. Uh, if you think of money as like, a, you know, let's say blood flow in an economy, uh, you want you know, blood circulating around your body, right? Because it gets to all those little bits and pieces that make you, you live and think and your heart beat and all that kind of good stuff. Um, well, savers are kind of like this blood clot. They kind of keep money in one place for, uh, for a period of time and it doesn't get sort of moved around. Uh, and that's why banks like inflation because it kind of incentivizes people to go, oh, well, okay, you know, I, I either better just go and spend this money or, you know, if I'm to beat inflation, I better invest it. Either one of those outcomes is pretty good, but if you have money just chilling there in a bank, it's pretty useless. Um, yeah, sure, banks can sort of lend it out on your behalf, um, but there's still it's still ultimately a little bit of dead weight on the economy. But uh, money is just money. It's not the it's not apples. No, it's not the richness. So if you have the, this money, I mean, in your house, nobody cares about it, or it does. Uh, so you mean if you have your money in, invested into a house or something? So if we're talking about no, money... No, no. Like in cash. I mean, nobody sees it. So if I burn $100, what happens? Yeah, so... Deflation. Yeah, you effectively will... You know, you would uh, yeah, effectively get uh, deflation because everyone else's money is, is worth ever so slightly more because you've effectively taken money out of, out of circulation. Um, but the, uh, the point that I'm trying to make is let's say you have $100,000 saved up in a bank account uh, and let's say for you know simplicity's sake that we don't have a fractional reserve banking system and the banks are not going to go out and invest your money for you but let's just say you have $100,000 in cash sitting in your, in your mattress, okay? Lucky you. Now that's fine, it's great for you, you have a bit of an emergency fund there or you know maybe you plan on you know, saving it up and buying a house or whatever but while it's sitting there under your mattress it's not been spent. It's much better for an economy for you to take that $100,000 and go on a shopping spree or buy a boat or go on a holiday or something like that that gets that money out there. Because when you take your $100,000 that you had sitting in your couch and spend it in a business, that business can then employ someone to take your money and provide the service that you're after. Um, and that employee can then go and spend the money that they make being employed at another business and the top cycle kind of effectively continues. But none of that can take effect while that money is just sitting there under your mattress. So what they really uh, want I to do... That we've, we've talked about this probably, Ted, I think it's necessary for me to say it again. This, this is just wrong. Where, when you have 100,000 lying in your mattress, the nature of money is not the, 
uh, when it's lying there that it, that it means that it's taken out of the economy. Money is the the right to buy resources in the economy. And when you put a hundred thousand in in your mattress, what's happening is the same thing as if you burnt that money for the duration that is lying in that mattress. Mm-hmm. So you're getting in the short run, when you put money in your mattress, you're getting that deflation that you're talking about that you get if you burn the money. Yeah, it's, it, it's the exact same thing because mo- when, when you save, it's postponed spending. It means that somebody else who wants to spend has a higher purchasing power. So no one was arguing that point. Uh, no one was saying that keeping money in your mattress was... That's what they... I was like uh, unsure about that, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, no one, no one ever sort of, no economist that's worth their salt will ever say that keeping money under your mattress will not cause deflation. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, is deflation is is not good. Uh, it sounds really great, and a lot of people like the idea of deflation. Oh, things are getting cheaper, but it's it's terrible for an economy. Deflation is very bad. No, no, it's it's not. Why is it not? Bad? Isn't, it, isn't it value free? There's winners and losers for both inflation and deflation. There so is. You, know, you win some and you lose some. There, there, right? there is winners and losers for, for uh, inflation and deflation. You actually hit the nail on the head. So the advantages of inflation, well, the advantages of deflation, let's start with that because it's the easiest one to sort of um, to look at. The advantages of deflation is, of course, that it incentivizes savers to keep money on hand. Uh, it means that people that uh, can accumulate and save money are going to be incentivized for doing so because effectively the money that they save whether they earn interest or not, uh, is going to be worth more and more. So if I save 10% of my income, I'm guaranteed returns. You know, if I keep money in my bank like a sensible person, I'm guaranteed that that money is going to be worth more in, in X amount of years, which is very different from the normal sort of mindset that most of you guys will have. I'm assuming that most of you know if you keep money sitting under your mattress in 10 years' time, it's, it's going to be worth less than it is today because of inflation. Um, now that is good and it does benefit some members of society obviously you know most notably uh employees that can save that money now the issue with that is it encourages people to stockpile money now people will argue that that isn't the case and people will always inevitably spend their money which is true but the impetus is lower you want to retain more of your money or at least you're not going to sort of invest it as wildly um, because it's not something where you have to beat inflation. You know, a lot of investment these days is is purely just to try and outpace inflation by an X amount of margin. You know, if you're not trying to beat inflation, then hey, you know, maybe you just don't bother investing at all because it's a little bit risky. So yeah, that's the yeah. disadvantage. Now, the advantages of inflation is, you know, it adds to the velocity of money. People get out and be incentivized to either invest it or spend it to either outpace inflation or just, you know, alleviate the issue of inflation altogether. So it adds to circulation and, and circulation is effectively measured by GDP. So it does lead to growth. Hey, aren't you, uh, aren't you the one that doesn't mean that the economy is growing? What you're yeah. getting, what you're getting when you have inflation, when you have inflation is higher time preference. What you're getting when you have deflation is lower time preference. Yeah. So what's actually changing is what people are spending money on, not whether they are spending money. When yeah. you have deflation, you're going to get more more people and businesses that are investing in capital goods, and that's how we actually get wealthier in society because that's what's increasing our purchasing power. If you have a higher supply of goods. It means that the goods become cheaper. 
the investment in capital goods, which is what happens when you have deflation, that eventually makes uh, cars and houses and everything else cheaper to acquire. Yes, and um, there are, um, I, I forgot what I was going to uh, say, for the, for the most part, um, we're, we're in agreement. And one of the big sort of takeaways and one of the big limiting points of, of my argument is it effectively relies on GDP being the be-all and end-all, right? Uh, and GDP is, uh, it's an all right indicator, but in, in reality, it, it's not necessarily the greatest uh, dial, I suppose, to look at to actually see if you've genuinely got a good economy. It tends to be the go-to, um, but it's one, of those, it's one of those things that's like, there are a lot of problems with it, to be honest. Um, so, you know, obviously, it's one of those things that can go back and forth. Um, I encourage reading on it because there are people that, that fall into different categories there. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting topic nonetheless. Yeah, it's an... Sorry, go ahead. Someone yeah, had a question. I have a question on a side note. What about buybacks by the corporation in the Somebody's feeding in. If the sales law is true, uh, and if supply really created its own demand, well, uh, wouldn't then the prices naturally inflate in that equilibrium as the wages go up? I'm asking this is for Matthias, as he was saying that deflation is good for the economy, as far as I remember. Can you repeat the question? If the sales law is true, if supply creates its own demand, then won't the prices naturally inflate while they are approaching that equilibrium? Wait, what? I don't know if it's me that's lagging, but I can't lag. Um, yeah, I'm not hearing you say anything, about this, but that, that's okay. Um, look, I actually genuinely encourage. Oh, someone's echoing, and that's really annoying. Uh, so I genuinely encourage having like uh, full disclosure. Matthias is one of the senior moderators here on the channel, and I, for the most part, completely disagree with him on absolutely everything. But he's an incredibly intelligent person, and I <laughs> definitely encourage arguing with him um, because you know, uh, at the end of the day, you don't learn anything by talking to people that you agree with. So, it's also uh, rich. Mm, very important. Yeah, I think um, it, it, it's important, but uh, I don't want to let our, our arguments sort of derail um, the, the Q&A because someone else had uh, a question that was related to the video. And thank you, uh, thank you, Captain Locke, for actually sort of listing the bits and pieces because that was great. Hang on, I'm going to put it in the YouTube live stream yeah, as well. Gone. Oh, it's gone? It's, uh, oh, where'd it go? Oh, what the? Okay, it just keeps disappearing. I mean, like, it's, uh, it's like people chat and then uh if i if i post it too much i'll get it spam i'll get um reported for spam there it is so yeah okay um so look let's start with the first one and i really want to hear your opinions on this more than mine because mine are sort of nicely put out in the video uh is the current economic situation different from pride depressions or economic downturns um for starters is there anyone that that disagrees with that sentiment that thinks this is different yes it is, uh, i believe it's slightly different um, mainly the fact that this is primarily a supply shock uh, as opposed to a major shock to demand, uh, which is usually what we've seen in prior um, depressions or well, prior like downturns. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I would I disagree with you on that. Okay. And why would you disagree? 
yeah, uh, I disagree Is with it? you that on that because won't uh, the quarantines etc. also act as a shock on demand. Since consumers yes, can't does. go out it and uh, it absolutely is actually. both a shock to demand and supply, but <laughs> particularly this time, it is characterized by a very large decrease in supply over the economy. Whereas, I imagine, like I don't have like statistics in it, but like I imagine that in previous like downturns, it's been characterized by a very large shift, like a very large decrease in like. Um, expectations of households and you know which is like one of the cornerstones of the economy for most like beliefs about economics um and <clears throat> this time it seems a little different because it is a there has been a lot larger impact to the supply side than there has been in previous uh, instance, instances well the demand side is also you know going down quite a bit because people are only buying you know, essential things, groceries and such, they're not going out and, you know, buying jet skis or, you know, restaurants or whatever, since it's both in this case. But the, the, the big thing here is, are people not going out to restaurants because they're afraid of the economy, because they're afraid of losing their job, or are they not going to restaurants because they can't? It's illegal to. Yeah. I, I think exactly. both. Because it's can't. Well, it matters from country to country, really. Hmm. You can... For poorer like countries, they don't really care. Philip, you're very you quiet. Sort of like, sorry. Um, you could sort of measure the impact of this, like the legal like, ban, I guess, on going out into large areas, sort of as like a quota on supply, well, a quota in like a demand supply like diagram. And that's like, that's a yikes on everyone in this, that situation, pretty much. Yeah, so it's one of those yeah. things where so it's, it's going to be a... Uh, who's, who's, who's... Someone's feeding in. Yeah. Anyway, so it's one of those things where it is, yeah. Obviously, this is a huge supply shock. Um, now, I would sort of say, obviously, the supply shock has trickled through and there are businesses that are just genuinely, like, they just can't mm -hmm. service um, the, the economy. Um, but it's also, yeah, correctly so, coming from the other side. Now, I would say still at this moment the supply shock is actually still outpacing the demand shock. So it's actually, um, you know, the supply of goods is, is falling short of where genuine demand is. But uh, as more and more people lose their jobs, you know, especially things like hospitality workers, the real sort of, uh, I don't know, how do, what's a polite way of putting this, like the low-rung sort of entry-level workers, um, you know, like the real sort of working class that are going to be spending a good majority of their money and, and, you know, look, tend to be a little bit younger and tend to be a little bit more uh, economically responsible. And, you know, they go out and spend a lot of money. Uh, they have a high marginal propensity to consume. Um, you know, all of those guys are, you know, losing, losing their money, which means that uh, genuinely demand will fall off afterward. But one thing that I think is really uh, interesting is, of course, I made the point in the video of sort of the debt chain uh, people can't afford to stop working right now because then they won't be able to pay rent and people won't be able to pay rent because then, you know, uh, the landlords will stop paying their mortgages and, and banks can't afford to forgive mortgages because, you know, they've got stakeholders to uh, keep happy or, and they don't want to fall into their own sort of liquidity crisis. So it's one of those things where it's kind of a, a really rough situation. But there's an interesting thing happening in Australia and a lot of other countries around the world at the moment. Now, Australia, I made the point in the video, is incredibly indebted like home loans here are unbelievable um like million dollar home loans are you know 
average. It's like a middle-class thing to have a million-dollar home loan, uh, which is insane because, you know, um, our average salaries are not that much better than, say, the US or any other developed economy. But um, there's this thing that's going around now that if you're impacted by, um, obviously, the events of the world, uh, if you're impacted by the coronavirus or anything like that, you can get a, a debt relief, you know. For six months, the banks are sort of saying that they'll put your mortgage on hold, uh, which sounds great. It's like, oh, you beauty, okay, obviously we free up a bit of cash flow and that's excellent, right? And you know what? It can actually be a genuine solution to the short-term crisis. Potentially, it means that people can forgive rent and it means that people can stay home and adhere to quarantines and that solves a lot of issues. But in six months' time, a few things are going to happen. You either need to pay that entire six months back in one big hit or your, uh, you know, your repayments are going to massively increase from you know zero dollars to more than you were paying before the debt forgiveness, because suddenly you've got an extra six months worth of home loans to to get down, uh, and that will mean that even if people did maintain their jobs, uh, even if people were able to to get everything else sort of sorted from there, they are going to be hit with this huge cash flow problem six months from now, which I think will be the second wave uh, of this sort of crisis where demand suddenly falls off a you know falls off a roof because uh, people are now sort of getting the, the hit of actually having to repay their debts again. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I think that's also going to coincide with when a lot of these generous, uh, generous government stimulus packages are going to come to an end as well. You know, we see like universal basic income has been introduced, you know, welfare packages for people in Australia and America, uh, and they will all sort of come to an end as well sort of six months time from now. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? I think it's worse for certain countries. Um, for example, in Japan, they were already facing a pretty big deflationary issue and um, consumer confidence over there is generally kind of low. Uh, and they, they, they're also facing the postponement of the Olympics. So I think certain, like for certain governments, their economic systems are less equipped or more vulnerable to the outbreak than others in terms of this uh, shock. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's one of those it's one of those things. Obviously, it's very very hard to predict. Um, and look, I mean my personal investment strategy is always just dollar cost averaging. I'm still investing as per usual, um, but I actually do see that potentially. You know, I think we'll come up for a bit of air. You'd be like, oh, okay, that's good. You know, maybe we get over uh, maybe we get over this crisis. Maybe a vaccine is found. Markets bounce back. Uh, and then six months from now, we'll be hit with, oh, well, you know, hey, all of those people that did lose their job that have been kind of, you know, relying on this generous government aid or, you know, debt forgiveness. Well, suddenly it's back to reality now and bam, um, you know, we're kind of hit with this huge uh, liquidity issue where people actually, you know, have lost demand because they can't afford to pay anything else now because they've got to pay back these home loans. It'll be interesting. It will be interesting um, and it probably will be pretty devastating. Uh, so, uh, Abhay on the YouTube live stream had a question, and it somewhat relates to this before we move on to the next point. Uh, what is a better form of stimulus? Uh, giving money to banks or giving it to the people directly? That is a good question. What do you guys think? Because I have a feeling I know which way that's going to go. People. People. Hmm. Andrew Young would hmm. say people. Well, I'm a bank. I'm a banker, so I'm going to say bank. Well, my country both. has interesting strategy. They're giving it I, directly I to the companies. Okay. What do you Here, think economic 
here's here's another question: If you give it to the people, are you still effectively giving it to the banks? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, nah, man. I had that under my mattress. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if it's a direct debit to the bank account, then technically yes. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing, right? Um, because you know, banks obviously it's not it's not as good for them as sort of directly receiving it, where it's basically their money. But um, their assets under management, and especially cash, is vital during times like this where they really want liquidity, uh, and that's excellent for them. So not only does it mean that people suddenly get this influx of cash, and uh, you know it was done in Australia in 2008, uh, everyone got $900. It sounds like it's going to get done in America. Everyone's getting $1,200. Same thing happened here again in Australia. Um, people on welfare are getting a $1,500 cash stimulus, and I'd affect there's probably very similar things happening in, in most countries around the world. It's kind of hard to keep up with the different types of government stimulus at the moment. Um, but, you know, let's say it gets paid out. Normally it's paid out by um, like the IRS or the Australian Taxation Office or whatever the taxation office is in your respective country. They pay it into the bank that you paid your taxes out of last year and fantastic. Now, of course, you you can hypothetically withdraw that money and go stick it under your mattress, whoever that weirdo was that said they were gonna do that. Good on you. Um, but realistically, 99% of people are going to keep it in their bank accounts until they go out and spend it, right? Uh, so it effectively hit two birds with one stone. And that's why I very much sort of lean on the side of it's for a few reasons, better to give the money directly to the people. Um, don't worry the the banks are very, very good at uh, making sure that that money ends up with them anyway. They'll be just fine. May I make a point? Uh, I suppose so. Um, the psychological effect of giving the money people is soothing, is good. Yeah, it is, absolutely. You know, a lot of people sort of, um, in a perverse kind of way, sort of like licking their lips, they're like, oh, this is fantastic, you know, I'm getting all this money, the government's giving me money, you're probably going to lower taxes this year. Um, you know, look, I mean, obviously it sounds horrible to say, but uh, in many ways I'm like that, you know, I, I get paid primarily in American dollars. Um, the Aussie dollars crash and I'm like, oh, this is fantastic. Chances are there's going to be some cheap properties on the market in six months and uh, you know, I'm still getting my US dollars. I'm earning, you know, 50% more than I was this time last month. Yeah, this is great. And I get to stay at home and, and work in my uh, pajamas all day, which is obviously a horrible thing to say. And, and obviously, you know, look, realistically, it's going to have a negative effect on all of us. Um, but it is sort of something that is a, a bit soothing. It, it helps to build that esteem, I suppose. So, E, you're in the same camp as me of having the housing market crash so us millennials and younger Gen Xers can buy? Uh, well, I mean, um, I think it's going to be one of those things. If you can get financed, do you still have a good job? You'll you'll do all right. Um, uh, um, speaking of continuing to get a job, activist, the thing is, uh, actually, in the U.S., we just yesterday, like, we had three million people apply for uh, uh, home. Uh, no, no, uh, unemployment. Because the thing is, um, the the biggest part of this crisis that some people are forgetting is that as much as this the, the stimulus and the welfare um, things that are going to be coming in because of the um, these packages the government is giving out, at the same time, there's millions of people that are losing their jobs and in industries that are going to be closing for the next months ahead because they just can't afford to stay open because of the lockdowns, quarantines, and lack of customers. Like, um, my actually, my own family, I have my brother lost his job um, in, uh, was it, just last week because of it. 
Um, then I have a few friends that already lost their job from due to these closings. And the thing is, uh, the when this is all over, the pandemic's over, and they start and they want to take away the the stimulus package, which is basically a, a, a basic income at this point, universal income. Uh, what's going to happen to everyone that's are currently unemployed? Because it's going to be hard to bounce back when you lost your job already. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be rough for uh, a lot of people, and and ultimately look. Um, the role of government is, is to potentially be there to, to, to cushion that blow, uh, not only for you know the human welfare aspect of it, but also to make sure that they can still participate actively in an economy, you know, to make sure they can still consume. Uh, but interesting, interesting times, no doubt, there. So I want to move on to the next, um, ne- next sort of topic, which is um, the idea of good and bad debt. Now, this is something where the lines have become a bit blurred. It used to be really, really obvious. Um, you know, pre two thousand and eight, and probably pre now, it was it was really simple. Uh, if you were doing things like personal loans, um, credit cards, or payday loans, pretty bad. If you were investing in things that de- depreciated in value, that was bad debt. Um, if you had a home loan, student loans, sometimes even things like car loans, uh, it was seen as good debt because it meant that you were you know actively contributing towards owning your own home, which is fantastic, or having a better education, which meant that you could make more money, or uh, you know even a car meant that you could actually sort of get to work or, or do something like that where it put it into the good debt category. Uh, and then business debt um, has seen as sort of still the ultimate form of good debt because businesses really probably won't take on a loan uh, unless it means that they're investing in something that's gonna make them even more money. So if you have a lot of business debt, it's normally an indication that there are lots of businesses that are actively making a lot more money, um, which has been true for a long time. Um, and it is something that has been especially true in the past decade. The thing that also really helps that is, um, I use the example in the video of, let's say someone borrowing $100 million to automate their supply chain. It's gonna save them $10 million a year uh, and their repayments on that loan are gonna be $5 million a year. The thing that's sort of made that possible is interest rates are so low. If we were back post, you know, pre-2008, where interest rates by central banks were, you know, uh, 4%, 4% um, and then, you know, business lending was probably around that 12 to, you know, 10 to 12% mark, that same example where they were saving $10 million a year would not be economically viable because their repayments would be $12 million a year. Um, Again, massively oversimplified, but effectively the lower interest rate has facilitated a lot of these debt positions to be financially viable, which meant more and more uh, expansion and leverage has been used, which means that we're in a bit more of a brittle situation now with a lot of these companies, especially when we're in a crisis like this one where they're going to lose their cash flow. Um, So where would you guys still put business debt? Uh, A lot of people argue that it's, it's still good debt, um, but it might be one of those things that just blows up. I mean, there you go. We'll, we'll ask Mr. Banker that sort of disagreed with everyone earlier. Who is Mr. Banker, by the way? Disclaimer, I'm an Islamic banker, so we operate on different principles. Ah, you guys don't believe in interest. Well, functionally it's interest, but technically it's not. So. Oh my god, I want to talk to you later. Awesome. Yes, that's the yeah, so so I don't think this this question is suited for me because I don't operate in the usual conventional banking. So thank thanks E, but I don't think I can answer this one. 
damn it, I tried to throw you under the bus. Yes, I think it is very interesting to speak to Sikhi about how Islamic banking works because um, it's effectively it's, it's illegal in Islamic countries to charge interest because it's usurious, uh, which is against the rules. Um, but you know, obviously, banks have got a bank, and uh, you know they're they're not they'll figure out a way around it, which is and it's quite clever how they do it. So uh, you know, talk it's to Seeky so if you want to if you want a zero percent uh, home loan because it's pretty pretty good, pretty legit. Uh, e, I would say business debt it varies if it's good or bad. I mean, it depends on the person. Like if a someone wants to start a sports bar and they just have a terrible business plan of how they're going to make it profitable and pay back the the debt, then that is a shit debt. But if you have a plan of how you're going to make profit, then oh, absolutely, it's good. Yeah. And who do you yeah, think is the question? If the investing that debt in something or just using it to pay wages or get more workers? Yeah. Uh, I want to hear what E was about to say. Hang on. E, what were you just about to say? Yeah, normally business debt is taken on uh, and normally the onus is on the lenders to, to make sure that business debt is not taken on to uh, cover expenses. It, it's pretty bad to, to be taking on business debt to cover expenses. And look, I work in the industry and I, I know, like one of the big things is if you're borrowing money, um, it's going to be, what are you using it for? The only exception to that is is normally like lines of credit, but they're normally secured against something. Um, either you know shares in the company or like a factory or something like that, like a HELOC. Um, but uh, normally it's it's almost exclusively used to actually invest in something capital, um, not not to cover expenses. But uh, if we to take your example, let's say the terrible sports bar idea, who is the responsibility on? Is it is it the responsibility of the business owner to make sure that they are only seeking bit, like you know funds when they genuinely have a good idea, or is it on the lender uh, to ensure that they're not investing into terrible business ventures like Mr. Terrible Sports Bar? There it should be both parties. To be it's honest, on the lender. But... no, it's on the lender. The the, the borrower will always lie and cheat. It's on the lender. Well, uh, in theory, I'm trying to say in theory it should be both parties should be yeah should be responsible. Ultimately, yes, Captain Locke is right. It should be on the lender. The lender is the one taking the risk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm very much in the mindset that lenders don't do enough uh, work on their end. They kind so of have – they. there's a lot of half-assery um, when it comes to – Lenders do depend on the credit rating agencies, right? SMP, uh, uh, I mean, yeah. For, for you, very, if, very big picture stuff, like we're talking yeah. extremely large lending is, is when you're going to get a rating agency involved. Uh, normally, it's like their sort of credit criteria for, for, for lending to businesses. It's the same as uh, lending to, you know, someone trying to get a home loan, right? Yeah, the... Uh, I've got a question. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like lending to large corporations, you know, is a significant part of our economy, but it's not the be-all, end-all. And so when we look at statistics uh, talking about like, or, or uh, you know, uh, borrowing statistics of large corporations and therefore lending uh, statistics of two large uh, corporations, we're only looking at one part of our, the economy. And so we, in E, you probably know more about this than I do because I'm, I'm too young to understand. Um, also, Holf Sizer wants to get unmuted and he just messaged me asking if I could petition. Okay. Um, I, don't I don't know why he's muted. <laughs> don't. Probably because he was think... being bad and had he he is unmuted. He just needs to unmute himself. <laughs> I think I have oh, I an answer 
to your yep. question. Excellent. It's a variable. If it was good at one point and it was bad at one point and it was good at one point and bad at one point, it means awesome. it's dependent on the situation, whether the business debts good debt or bad debt. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, you guys are ultimately right, of course. It, it all depends on who's going to take responsibility for it. Uh, a lot of lenders have, you know, securitized business debt. So it's the same sort of thing that we sell in 2008. They don't give a fuck because uh, it's going to be off their books in a month's time when they securitize it and sell it off to someone else. Yeah. Um, which is great. Oh, those are so annoying. Uh, which is great. Oh. You know, they make their tidy little profit and that's fantastic. But uh, yeah, it ultimately causes problems much further down the road. But uh, the, you guys have kind of hit the nail on the head. It ultimately depends on who you're investing to. But it's unfortunately the case that we're investing to dodgier and dodgier institutions at the moment because, uh, you know, business uh, bonds are, you know, big business and very, very profitable. Now, um, I guess if we sort of take a step back. Um, before we move on, I had a question about business debt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no worries. We're going to stay on here. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I've also heard that, like, apart from just buying capital, um, some businesses uh, take on debt for speculative reasons uh, to affect their share prices. Yeah, so they, um, so it's like they will take on debt to, uh, like if they're an investment institution, to, to leverage themselves so that they can generate more returns. Uh, there is an instance of bad debt, since it's um, more speculative than simply buying capital. Yeah, so like buying a tree farm or something kind of capital, right? Yeah, normally most business debt is is used to do some sort of capital, right? Um, now, I suppose the most most speculative thing you can do is uh, borrow money to do share buybacks, you know, and that's effectively a form of capital. Sh shares in your own company are capital, uh, and you can do that. Now, it's very, very frowned upon, and not a lot of institutions are going to want to do that. Um, the idea of share buybacks is it effectively should be done with retained profit rather than uh, lending, but it can give you a little bit more flexibility potentially down the road to to raise money at you know higher rates and and use you know sort of a public offering uh, to to raise money in in, in better times. Now, uh, examples of companies that do that are few and far between. Realistically, most business lending uh, as an aggregate is being used for um, what you'd expect it to be, you know, to, to buy a tree farm or to build a factory or to automate some process or invest in some new technology. Uh, and it is a type of leverage, you know. Um, well, yeah, we could talk about um, uh, MM capital structure theory, the just how irrelevant, you know, capital structure is for the most part. I mean, in theory, uh, but where the reason why you know corporations might conduct a, a share buyback is that they're taking advantage of uh, what is essentially a arbitrage opportunity, wherein um, they can uh, you know they can leverage up to a very specific point um, and then actually effectively increase their value by essentially taking uh, advantage of um, friction, market frictions especially with regards to taxes. So, I don't know. I feel like I'm butchering that theory. Oh my gosh. Yeah, look, I mean, corporate high finance is very confusing. Uh, and oh, probably yeah. not, not something that we have time to, to realistically get into. Maybe I'll make a video on it because, um, fortunately, I'm sort of somewhat exposed I mean, to... I mean, it's pretty subject. 
like it can it can be pretty deceptive at times yeah and and look i mean it, it's all to do with uh things on large scales get weird uh it's 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 strange that like you know uh, things don't scale up and down just like they do with like you know personal finances is a completely irrelevant sort of uh discipline at a level of a major institution or a government uh it's odd but um that sort of ticks that one off so let's talk about now it's 3 a.m in the morning so i'm not sure if i have any fellow australians still alive and with me potentially someone from western you australia do. <laughs> you do too hey you do a lot mike you're host. always here hey it's my brother forever and ever so um this is a tangent but uh the australian housing market one of potentially the most over leveraged uh real estate markets in the world we never really went into a recession during 2008 so that means that our st our housing prices did go backwards during that period but not by much not nearly to the level that they did in america um, and since then they've sort of pretty steadily continued to grow and grow and grow um, we've had consecutive rate cuts slowly trickle in um, over that period and now lending in australia to, is to the point where we are the first, second second most indebted nation in the world after switzerland Switzerland's a country that has much, much higher incomes than Australia, though. So they kind of deserve the right to be a little bit more in debt than we are. Um, I think, you know, income to debt ratio, we're, we're well and truly in, in the top spot. Uh, and, a, you know, a large majority of that is in home lending. So do you reckon this is going to be the uh, the pin that pops that bubble? Or, you know, do you reckon it's a bubble at all? What are your thoughts there, fellow Australians? I, I think it's a bubble. Like it's it's insane. Can I can I have some input here? In Australia, the housing economy works a little differently to others. Well, so we got something called negative gearing, where you can write off, like I believe, your interest payments against your income. So that kind of allows people to borrow more and have slightly inflated prices. I don't have anything else. I am not Australian, but I will chime. I think. It would only happen though if massive unemployment starts being more and more common because then people start losing that income that they're paying off their mortgages and that's when defaults will start happening. And See that would only happen once the mining industry starts collapsing more and more when China doesn't want to buy as much Australian uh, mining products anymore or farming or you know all the other commodities that Australia exports. So I want to play... Things. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you do your two things and then oh, yeah, play a little game. Uh, the mining industry in Australia like isn't that large. It doesn't employ that many people. Even if it does collapse, like it would cause problems, but it wouldn't like drive the house prices down. And two, um, the governments and banks have already suspended like mortgage payments, and there's mortgage relief there, so people don't have to pay their mortgages. Well, yeah. Also, like miners and farmers, they don't really affect house prices that much because they don't live in urban areas. It's more, you know, service sector and and such somebody's mic's very... really quiet mm -hmm. but then how would how would australia get foreign money though from foreign earnings if it's just being more of an import oriented economy yeah so if anything um the mining industry will probably do well um in the current climate because the australian dollar is depreciated which makes our uh raw materials uh, more competitive on, on a global market, which is great. Um, you know, it sort of helps out the local industries and means that their 
expenses, you know, their labor expenses are relatively less. Um, but I do agree that, look, uh, realistically, mining, as much as they would like to make you think they're a big deal, um, they're a very profitable industry, but not a huge deal for the Australian economy overall. I recommend go watch the Economy of Australia to learn more about that. They are uh, they're tiny. But here's my question, and this is a fun game to sort of play because it sort of maybe puts a little bit of a uh, context about how insane, um, you know, uh, Australia is in terms of its housing market. So the image that I just linked you is a nice sort of four bedroom, five, four bedroom, four bathroom house. Uh, it sold in 2018 here in Australia. Um, that was when the Australian dollar was worth about a, uh, one Australian dollar is worth about uh, 75 US cents. So, you know, um, relatively close to comparable um, sort of, you know, dollar fifty. Uh, one American dollar buys a dollar fifty US. There you go. That that's what I no the other way around. One American dollar buys a dollar fifty Australian. My God, currency pairs are confusing to me. All right. So, does anybody want to take a guess as to how much that house costs? You can guess in Australian dollars, American dollars. We'll we'll be able to work it out for you. Oh my god, I regret I regret asking it like that. Why don't you put it in chat? Uh, why don't you put it in chat your best guess and we'll we'll do it. Uh, the people on the YouTube live stream can do the same thing. I just um, think about white one or the I mean one. from looking at that picture in my city that I live in, that's like probably one eighty. US dollars, hundred thousands, hundred eighty thousand US dollars. Okay. Yeah. Um, did did wait, you wait. give a general location? Oh, oh yes. I, 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 I should oh. I should have added that, of course, because location, location, location is is very important. Um, it is in a relatively affluent suburb, uh, about sort of a twenty to thirty minute drive, depending on traffic, from the Sydney CBD. Uh, it's not close to uh, like a beach or waterfront or anything like that. It is sort of just a suburban area. Uh, it is on a train line, but you would have to walk about 20 minutes to get to a train that would then take you about 20 minutes to get to the city. So, yeah. yeah Other that than sounds that, about where I live. It's, it's on a quarter acre block. So, you know, it's, it's got a relatively good size block there. All right, so um, obviously uh, a lot of differences here, and people have sort of said, well, look, if it was in America and like a, you know a more rural community, it'd be about one hundred eighty thousand um, dollars. You know, we got about eight hundred thousand US dollars, which is about one point two million Australian dollars. Um, I think the highest genuine guess we've sort of seen is about two and a half million Australian dollars. Well, baked potato said two to two million to seven million US uh, Australian dollars, which I guess is probably cheating. Um, um, Chimera said 14 million Australian. Uh, all right, so it tends to be hovering. <laughs> no way. I think it, it tends to watch watch Chimera be right. <laughs> Just... it, it tends to it tends to be hovering around the the one to two million dollar mark. I think in that sort Jesus. of obviously pretty wide. Chimera's right. It, that house there. The price is uh, that five bedroom, three bathroom, two garage house, with no swimming pool. Uh, relatively old build, sold for. Six point two million dollars. What the six point two uh, million dollars, and that's uh, not... that was uh, that's that's probably about four and a half million American dollars. For that oh. money, you could buy a castle in my country. The fuck. Yeah, it's you insane. can buy two castles in my country. 
With that money, you could retire. You could retire. A gently medieval castle. At age 20. And live off the interest. Yep. And uh, that's for a, a relatively you know, modest home. It's, it's not a luxury property by any means. I mean, like you, you saw it. It doesn't look that impressive. It's got a, got a nice little shed, I suppose. But, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, I have a question. What's average age, average of age in Australia? Uh, I think we're relatively old. I think, I don't know. Uh, you could probably know, Google the median's it. around 30. That's pretty young. Cool. Boomers. Yeah. Uh, to give you, God, that's such a disparity between like, or, damn. Because like, like, like this is a this is a house that was purchased for two hundred and forty, uh, that I'm posting, in the U.S. dollars. Yeah, and uh, what we find is that a lot of Australians do this. So they'll get, you know, they they will get these uh, houses in Australia. Because, like, look, if, if genuinely, let's say you bought that house back in, you know, the early 2000s, you could probably buy it for a million dollars back then, which was still unbelievably expensive, obviously. Um, but now, you know, it's worth six and a half million dollars. You sell that, you have four and a half million American. Wouldn't you move to America? Like, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. friends and family and all that, but you yeah. buy a house like, like that. Um, like and you would live again. like an absolute king in America, where you know if you're rich, you you do probably better than if you if you're rich here in Australia. Yeah. So um, yeah, it, it's crazy, and and it is one of those things. Now that's a particularly affluent suburb, and it's probably a particularly bad example um, where the block of land was was by far the majority of the value of that house. But it goes to show just how un believably expensive Sydney uh, and to a lesser extent Melbourne is I'm gonna assume that you live in a one-bedroom apartment (laughs) Uh, I'm very fortunate I live in a I live in a quite nice apartment Uh, actually in that suburb uh, believe it or not so I don't live in a house really but uh, yeah that's just sort of why I know it's like yeah that's all right (laughs) hey look if you need an Airbnb (laughs) I got you fam well, that's the other thing. I mean, uh, let, let's talk about what's going to happen to Airbnb. So there's a huge, oh, shit. Uh, I didn't even that. yeah, there's a huge sort of obviously supply of people that have bought up properties in recent years, and instead of you know renting them out to typical renters, they've you know put them up as Airbnbs because obviously the return on investments, you know, a fair bit better if you do it with Airbnb. So it's a little bit more work, but your your ROI is pretty pretty damn good. Um, well, tourism's gone. Uh, you know, if you were running, uh, you know, if you were running a portfolio of Airbnb properties in Australia, well, you got two options. You can either sell them all, um, because you know, or well, actually, I guess three options: sell them all, do nothing for six months and hope this all blows over. You know, go down to the Winchester and hope it all blows over. Or option three: uh, you rent them out to normal renters, which means there's been a huge influx of of properties, especially in more touristy areas. Um, that have been up, put up for rent and they're kind of competing with each other on rent prices now. They're sort of trying to, you know, undercut each other so they can get someone in there for the next six months. Uh, you know, it's better to make a little bit of money than, than no money. And when rental yields are lower, property prices tend to follow that because it also impacts your ability to borrow. If you're an investor, uh, a lot of your ability to borrow depends on how much rent you can get from that property. And if the bank says, oh, well, you're only going to make $300 a week from this property, not $1,000 a week, well, you can only borrow $300,000, not a million dollars. So that might be a vicious little thing that gets people. You know, who would have thought? Airbnb. 
Um, you know, obviously that's speculation. Uh, so there's a lot of moving parts in that sort of assumption there, but it, it will be something that hurts hard. Somebody's feeding the microphone. Who is it? Oh, they, 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 oh, hang on. Hello. Echo. Gotcha. Yeah, he had to be right down the bottom of the list, didn't you? Mm -hmm. um, may I ask in. a question related to the video? Hi. Yes, please. Um, what do you think about the countries that have uh, prioritized keeping the economy going and just accepted that some people will die and haven't done it in a lockdown or quarantine or so on? Some like of you, you may die, but that's a sacrifice <clears throat> I'm willing to make. Uh, I can't. For the economy. I can't help but think that's like, uh, yeah. Or, or, or have you guys seen the the front page of Reddit today? The one where it's like Hermione Granger. It's like, uh, you know, oh, yeah. yeah, thousands of people may die, or worse, our economy or something like. It. It's like you know, you might be killed or worse, expelled. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's great. Uh, now that's very very dark humor because of course this is, you know, it's killing a lot of people. Um, I think that what, what, what's an example of a country that sort of very blatantly sort of said like up until recently America um, was kind of like yeah it's, it's nothing don't worry about it it's a democratic hoax um, but I think they've kind of they were like that in the UK for a while they were like that in the UK for a while they said herd immunity would save us all yeah we quit oh um, Iran Iran was a good uh, example of that as well they um like before like it became obvious that like most of the government was starting to get the disease as well. Uh, they were going all over on broadcasts in the nation saying that, and claiming that it was nothing to worry about, it was just a flu. When at the same time, the, the spokesperson, I think it was like the prime minister's right hand, he was coughing all over <laughs> during yeah. the interviews. Oh. And yeah, so oh. he, got, he ended up getting positive and he basically gave it to all the news crews in those uh, stations. Yeah, we also had to start digging uh, graves, mass graves, because they just don't have enough coffins in Iran, apparently. Yes, may I? Yeah, Iran is doing mass graves already. And um, this is, uh, I have a friend in Iran, actually, and um, he was telling yeah, me that a big... topic now, like, quite a bit. Oh. Yeah. I was saying, what do you think about the countries that are prioritized keeping the economy going and just accept that some old people aren't contributing very much will die? Ah, uh, well, example, I would say Sweden. I think they're probably pretty heartless bastards, aren't they? I mean, I don't really have much to say good. outside of that. I mean, I am an economist, but my God, like, obviously, you know, there are still probably the priorities. Their, that... their, their children are going to benefit from their from their parents dying. Yeah. Because it, they're it... holding up those, those pension checks. Yeah, if you uh, if you genuinely want to hear my uncensored opinion on it, and I did take the heartless bastard approach, and, and in a kind of joking way, uh, of course, I do think the best thing to do is, is stay inside. Look, obviously, economy be damned in the short term. It's all about saving lives now, right? Flattening the curve, and, and look, obviously, we can figure out the economy later on, um, which, I don't know, maybe alleviates all of my credibility as a, as a cold-hearted economist. But uh, in a somewhat joking context, <laughs> I did do a Patreon-exclusive video, Cha-ching, you know, here I am selling out, um, where I did sort of say... Yeah, effectively, um, you know, potentially some old people dying will alleviate the burden on the economy. And again, it was a joke. I promise it was a joke, but I did sort of explore how that, you know, effectively long term would, you know, boost the economy, I suppose. Yes, but that is unironically so, uh, the strategy Sweden decided to take. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, we're getting a bit old. It's like, oh, yeah, nice, uh, nice. Yeah, that was all I wanted to ask. Nice like, aged welfare system you got there. Sure would be a shame if someone coroned it. <laughs>
So, interestingly, based on the joke you were saying, the current statistics coming out say that between 1 in 20 and 1 in 500, depending on how the situation goes, young people are going to die. And if you take that and you extrapolate how much money that that person would make in their lifetime, it could either be we're losing very little money if we just let everyone who's young die and the old people, or it's going to be a complete disaster and we're going to lose millions in future money that we could make from people working. So, But it's mostly old people. Yes, but the, the current numbers are between 1 in 20 young people dying, so 30 to 40 years and younger, and 1 in 500. But that really depends on where you are and like how much of a dose you initially get. If somebody coughs in your like face and then smears their hand over your face, you got a huge dose of it. But if you just touch a doorknob that somebody touched, you you get a tiny dose. Do you understand the difference? Biologically, I don't know if that's how that works. Uh, anyway, That's not how it works. If you have the virus, you have it. If you don't, well, you don't. Yeah. Everyone's reaction is different, but it doesn't matter about how much virus you got. It's just our yeah. body. Yeah, that's biology. <laughs> I think the most important thing is how available healthcare is in the place you are. Exactly. Also, also, also keep in mind that it's is overwhelmed or not. Also keep in mind it's not an airborne disease, which is why face masks don't work. That's why the CDC You're really uh, recommends. It's um. Well, I mean, no, the reason why it's you can breathe it in still is just that it's if it's in the moisture droplets from when you cough or when you sneeze and stuff like that. That's in the air still. That's the that's face, face masks are useful. If they stop you from touching your face, yeah, I I actually want to take a, a genuine poll here because um, look, I mean it's outside of um, oh wow, yeah, yeah, countries that are best and worst prepared for an epidemic. Look at that, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, best, worst prepared. Oh, they said the USA is most prepared. Am I reading that right? What? Yeah. What? Yeah, uh, what? <laughs> I think it's biased. I might... Maybe yeah, it's a few. Maybe yeah. a few. Maybe a few. Pretty rich. sure. Pretty sure. Governor of New York City was complaining that they weren't getting enough respirators. Yes. yes. Uh, as long as you're outside of New York, you're good. But so he's, we have full yeah. quarantine for now. Here in California. Here's, yeah. Well. Here's, here's my question, and and again, uh, it's a mass question, so please um, put it in chat. Um, how many of you guys are genuinely under? Full lockdown. So for the past three weeks, I've actually not left my apartment um, at all, at all. I have not been outside. So like uh, on a scale of zero is like I'm still going to work. Uh, sorry, one is I'm still going to work. Uh, I'm still life as usual. I'm going outside, interacting with people. Two is that I'm basically quarantined, but I'm still sort of, uh, you know, going out and occasionally sort of like going to the shops or whatever it may be or you know walking around on the street and three is like i've literally not left my apartment like i'm a three so where are you guys at i have a question how do you get food uh so we get it delivered and then we sanitize everything uh it's just in my country the delivery services don't really exist so it's not possible really you missed a great opportunity to say x up in chat <laughs> Well, this is effectively the same. So, wow, it's interesting that the, the amount of people that are, like, I mean, I, I'm glad that the majority are sort of like twos and threes. 
Um, but yeah, there are still a lot of people that are just one. Um, do you know, um, I mean, if it, if, it, if it gives you like an insight, uh, I live in California and we had, we got a stay at home order, but the thing is it's it's not even mandatory. It's, uh, it was more of like a suggestion and, um, as in there's no repercussions for being outside your house. And to the point that I'm still working, like my job, Chick-fil-A considers itself quote unquote essential for this crisis. Although <laughs> well, no, apparently people I can't own. live without chicken. Food is I'll, essential. It's yeah, food. My I all didn't close until like yesterday. Yeah, I but also... I'm, still, I'm still working through that. And um, it sucks because you have people going through the drive-thru every day. We get hundreds of cars still. And they're just, they're, they can spread it because we already got 20 positive cases in my city. Jesus. I live, I live in, I live in Napa Valley up here, in Northern California, and I commute to San Francisco every yeah. day. And I'm, I keep two meter distance from people. But yeah, the cars are, the most of the freeways are empty out here though, so it's good. But there are very few people walking around really. Yeah, I'm going. I'm, I'm about to go on to three. So I'm in uh, Indiana, Northern Indiana. And we have a couple cases. Um, yesterday. Or the other day, I went out uh, to pick up groceries and run some errands. And I noticed that there were so many people out and about. And mm -hmm. so I, I, I'm i thinking about today going and loading up on groceries. And yeah. just isolate. Because I'm not, I'm not about to risk it where if I, if I wait any longer, it's going to spread. And it could be everything could be contaminated. And, you know, it takes a freaking week for an incubation. And yeah, it's kind of like crazy. I should have I, I should have stocked up on on stuff last week. I am yeah. really confused because because of, the way, because of the way that uh, the testing has been done and the way that you know obviously it incubates itself for a long period before it's it's actually sort of evident. I mean, I think America's close to like seventy seventy five thousand cases at the moment. Like realistically, I mean, if logarithmic progression is is to be followed, uh, it could already be well and truly at the sort of hundred and fifty two hundred thousand cases mark. So it's uh, it's going out there. And I'm actually surprised. Well, yeah, because yeah, people, yeah, people have to go to to the store, and you know, yeah, no real way around that. I'm uh, I'm in a what? relatively major metropolitan area, um, and I could like I'm I'm up very very high in like a very very tall apartment building, and I can sort of see down onto the street and the train station, and I am just shocked. We're in Australia, so our outbreak isn't quite as bad here, but I'm still shocked by the amount of people that are you know, jam-packed onto train platforms and walking down, you know, major shopping streets and stuff like that. And I'm just sort of sitting up here in my apartment with, like, you know, growing my big uh, beard and living like Mr. Burns when he opened that casino. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's how Captain I Lock, I also recommend stocking up on guns and ammo. Nah, I'm good. Nah, I'm good. I have a bow, I have a bow and arrow. Only Americans do that. I'm, I'm Californian, I don't... I don't think you can fight the virus that way, actually. Yeah, I don't think I can no. fight. I think no, North Korea, it, it takes the really good people. aim. Sorry, I'm, I'm Californian, I don't speak hillbilly. Space, I live I live in California, too. You're probably... Oh, you're from the, the North... Oh, you're in North Cal... Oh, we don't like you. <laughs> or, 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 he's out, or he's out in the, oh my God. the desert area. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm in the... Yeah, I'm... No, like Sierra, and Sierra, Nevada. Uh, and, and I'm like, uh, was arguing about which part of California is better than the Southern California. Hey, anyway, I have a question about uh, the video. Depends where in California, because San Francisco and LA are both trash. Yeah. Uh, yes, okay, someone, someone, uh, had, someone had a question about the video. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Um, it's You mentioned that in the very last part, you talked about QE and how it affects inflation and how savers are the ones that lose. 
no. But, I mean, we have had, especially in Europe, almost a decade of QE, but inflation is nowhere to be Yeah. Yeah, that's because they're desperately trying to get inflation. Same as in Japan. Um, they really want inflation, but they can't get it. So uh, that's why I didn't understand the last point that you made. So what, what, were, you, what were you trying? Yeah, the, the normal reaction to quantitative easing is inflation. But uh, there are different forces. Like in Europe's case, the economy is stagnating so hard that even with you know a shit ton of money being printed, it's like uh, you know the the literally think of the money printer goes brrr meme where the guys desperately janking you know, <laughs> yeah. jacking out money, uh, and the little little figures kind of just hovering back and forth between green and red. That's exactly what's happening in Europe. They literally cannot keep the money printers going hard enough to. Uh, you know, fight off the deflationary pressures of, um, you know, a slowing economy effectively. So that's what's happening in, in Europe uh, and to a much, much more poignant extent in Japan. Yeah, and just to add and, on to that point, the savers are getting taxed, I mean, self-taxed by the negative interest rates in Europe. True. Yeah, so it's, I, uh, I, he, probably, he probably he probably doesn't doesn't understand what negative interest rates do to the consumer. Uh, I mean, the borrowers. Oh, they're savers. They're not borrowers. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I mean savers. Yeah. I mean, it depends how much money you have in the bank. At least I don't have that much, and I'm not getting charged for having the money there. Yeah, but but I mean, if you if you were to consider if you was in a higher interest rate environment, you would getting more return on your savings. Yeah, probably, well, probably. But uh, from this question, I wanted to ask you, what do, uh, what do you think about modern monetary theory? Have you made a video about it? I don't think. Nope, but there will be a video about it, so you guys are all going to have to wait on it. The amount of times I get asked about modern monetary theory every single time. I do this what about, you... what about the... <laughs> 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 all right all right so um the um last thing that we're going to talk about uh actually no we've pretty much talked about everything all right that's excellent because it is 3 a.m here so does anyone have any i'll take one more final question if it's a good one uh, but then i gotta go to sleep because i still gotta work are you, what are, you, are you gonna post the spain video yes please do it yeah please spain video from spain, spain. Uh, youth unemployment. Mass youth unemployment. Spain. Yeah. Do you guys want Spain or Cuba this weekend? Spain. 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 Let's talk about mass youth unemployment. (laughs) What? I mean, unemployment. What do you say? I feel like Spain's more interesting. Yeah, you do. Oh, Oh, let's make Spain an example of. Let's make Spain an example why not to have mass youth unemployment. I've already done Singapore. Not an example. Why will you make good on your promise to me? (laughs) Mass youth unemployment. Oh, yeah, okay. Spain's problem is structural. It's just too much uh, temporary employment. Let's make an example why not to be. Can I ask a question? All right, one last question, then I'm I'm, I'm going to bed. So. So, today, Junior. Question. Uh, can I ask a quick question? Um, it's about the kind of uh, actions of the Federal Reserve recently, kind of expanding beyond just mortgage-backed securities with quantitative easing, more towards commercial paper. 
Okay. Um, and, you know, expanding kind of beyond that, do you think that there's kind of an agency problem created with banks in the sense that they could devise to underwrite, uh, you know, uh, pardon my French, but shitty loans um, now that, you know, the Federal Reserve is willing to just buy, buy up just about anything in cases like where they need to put more liquidity on the balance sheet of banks? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, in the sense, I suppose, they, uh, they there's a moral hazard there. If they know that they're going to always sort of get bailed out by the central bank or if they're always going to have, you know, liquidity by the central bank, that, yeah, yeah, certainly. And, and certainly when you consider that those sort of shitty loans tend to have higher returns, right? Um, so it's like, you know, uh, playing a, a crazy game of, of cards where you, you, you're not playing with your own money. You're incentivized naturally to, you know, go after those sort of more high-risk things. Um, even as a preference potentially for, for over low risk. So, um, yes, yes, I do. It's, it's playing, classic moral You are hiring. playing with real money, but it's not yours. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it seems like a little bit of a moral hazard. I think you really hit on it. Um, to me, especially, you know, in 2008, you look, the re response was kind of, uh, let's, let's sort of clamp down on banks, prevent how much leverage they can get, give, you know, for example, acquisition leverage. Uh, and now it's gotten to a point where if the Federal Reserve is just going to buy up that paper, then what the hell, right? So why not just uh, uh, yeah. underwrite a shitty loan if, uh, you know, dad's just going to pay off the credit card? Yeah. Well, what and, if uh, and, and... dad says that you can't write that, you can't uh, use your credit card in that way? You well, can't. then you're going to lobby him. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, here's, yeah. One, here's one of the things. Basically, uh, if, you, if you get free money and you're a bank, um, obviously, your returns, your profit comes from, you know, what you can charge in interest. So imagine, like, you, you're at a casino, basically. If you're playing with someone else's money, uh, you're going to go, you know, probably hit up, and, and you get to keep whatever you win. You're probably going to go hit up the higher-risk games. You know, maybe you'll put it all on green at the blackjack table, because, yeah, well, if you lose, whatever. But if you win, uh, obviously, the money that you get to keep from that is, is a lot bigger. And it doesn't matter if you lose, so... Um, you know, I think, if anything, it actually encourages sort of more risk-taking, like, over sort of lower risk taking, which is exactly what we saw uh, in two thousand and eight. You know, banks preferred subprime mortgages because they had higher returns. Um, all right. Anyway, I need to go to bed. So thank you guys all thank for you. watching the video and coming thank on to you. the good live night. stream. Good, good night. night. Oh, good actually, night. my goodness, it's just me. We're, we're all so night. close to to uh, a thousand people on the Discord server online. I've never seen that before. So if that actually happens, uh, take a photo of it and send it to it me. Was. Oh, Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.